0: Welcome to the Sparkcom Podcast, where we talk about innovation trends and what's coming next. My name is Manny Turan. And I'm Adam Hartung. We're Spark Partners. Visit us at sparkpartners.com to learn more about how we can help your business grow and thrive. So Adam, I was thinking about on the way, I'm actually down in my, my mother's house here in, in beautiful Douglas, Arizona. And I was driving down and I was thinking to myself um, about risk. Risk is part of everything in life, right? We put our seatbelts on, uh, we drive carefully, but you don't know, things can come out of nowhere. And much like that in business, there's risk that's everywhere. But in a matter of speaking, there are seatbelts as well in, in business. And we can be mindful about the risk so that when we launch a business or we have an existing bis- business that we're going to course correct. We can do it with less risk, or at least being aware of the risk, through the use of trends. So I'll put that as the landscape, and I want to get your thoughts on that as, uh, as we uh, discuss today's podcast.
1: Well, uh, there's, uh, risk is an interesting topic because there is such a thing as real risk. There's real measurable risk. But most of us don't operate on, on real measurable risk. We tend to operate on perceived risk. And our perception has a tremendous amount to do with what we think is risky or we don't think is risky. So as you said, often people will say, well, I'm just going to stand here in one spot because that's the least risky thing I can do. Well, I mean, it's the least risky thing you can do unless you manage to stand in the middle of the highway and it's a pretty risky place to stand. Right. Mm-hmm. You say, well, I wouldn't stand in the middle of a highway and be like, well, yeah, but you know, eventually the highway could come through where you're located and then it would become risky. Um, it's kind of like when the Titanic Sunk. You probably always heard the story about how initially several of the lifeboats left the Titanic with only one or two people in them. And the reason was that the people on the Titanic were standing there saying, This giant ship, this big ship, this wonderful ship, there's no way this ship will sink. You want me to get off this big, giant, wonderful ship and get in that tiny little bitty boat out here in the middle of the North Atlantic where it's so cold and everything, I'd much rather be on this big ship. So the perception was they were safer on the Titanic than they would be in the lifeboat. Of course, there was very real risk because the side of the boat was open and everybody and the, the, those of the knew it was going to sink. And that's what they were telling people, it's going to sink. Uh, back in World War II, they had a problem that pilots would often take and, and fly their planes right into the ground and they, and instead of hitting the uh, button to eject out of the airplane. This was a real problem because, you know, losing a plane is bad, losing a pilot is really bad. And so after the war, they did research to try to understand why pilots would do that. And they put them into situations with simulators, those kinds of things to figure out why they flew these planes into the ground. And the the macho view was, oh, they do it because we're pilots and we think we can get anything done we want to get done. But it turned out to be much simpler. They knew how to fly a plane. They didn't know what would happen when they hit the ejector button. They were more afraid of the eject- of being ejected and what might happen to them, rip their leg off or whatever bad thing could happen, or they end up, uh, you know, the, the parachute doesn't open, all the things they could think of that would go wrong, that they would hang on to the plane to the very last minute. Right. So the, what we run into it is the same phenomenon in business, where people say, I am here, I've got my business, I know what I'm doing, and I feel safe. And then when we say, well, let's go do something new, they say, well, that's risky. But that's not really true because the reality is, is that the world's changing all the time around you. In fact, the more you stand still and do the same thing over and over and over, you build up what's called status quo risk. And it's the risk from standing still. It's the risk of being in the status quo and being unwilling to change the way market conditions change.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of business people are, um, especially if they built their business from scratch or it's a family business, they feel very, very married to the concept of the business as it stands. I have lots of friends that have family businesses that were started by their, their parents or their grandparents, and uh, those are some of the ones that want to change the least. They said, this is the way granddad did it, and I don't want to you know, mess things up. And, of course, we, talked about, we talk about this in our course, and, and, and in general that um, you know granddad or, or grandmother – they took a risk back in the day, and they, were, they launched something brand new, and now it's their responsibility, you know, two generations down, to be as smart, as astute about um, managing their own risk to make the right decision.
1: Well, they used to have this phrase that, you know, the first generation creates the business, the second generation sort of sits around and babysits it, and then the third generation kills it. And there's been a lot of research on that. Uh, Yale University in particular has a lot of data. They have a program around privately held businesses that focuses their MBA. And it's it's very different read. The reality is, is that the business is usually found by somebody who sees an opportunity. They see a trend, they see an opportunity, and they go headlong into that opportunity. But then what happens is the second generation comes along and perhaps they see opportunities, but the first generation won't let them do it. First generation feels so comfortable, so self assured, and so righteous in the business the way they had it that they're very slow to, to give up the reins to the second generation. You know, grandpa, the, the father just keeps hanging around, he keeps interjecting himself in the business. The mom keeps coming in with recommendations, and they won't let him make substantial changes until the second generation, you know, gets old enough that they pretty much are ready to give up. And so then they give up and they hand it to the third generation and they go, What the heck? You look at this pile of manure you handed me because you handed me some business that's almost irrelevant it's wildly out of date and how am i supposed to get this back on track now right you now think about like for example If if years ago somebody had seen the automobile come on, so back 100 years ago, see the automobile coming along and you start realizing livery stables and all stuff related to horses and horseshoeing and all that, that's going to go away. So you're early and what do you do? Maybe you get yourself a car dealership or or a mechanics garage, right? You start down that road, sell some gas, do some mechanics work, have a car dealership. That all looks great, right? You know, just kind of going along. But then over time, cars change, right? And cars become far more electronics and now it takes a whole different sort of skill set in order to keep up to date on that. And so now then the independent garage starts to fade away in favor of the dealership. And dealerships get more and more reliant on their service, right? But what's happening now is we're going to EVs and with electric vehicles, you don't have all that service. So now what happens is you've got auto dealerships out there that make $100 when they sell a car and they're depending on oil changes and transmission work and warranty work in order to try to make the money, but these EVs don't have it. And so now what's going to happen to those car dealerships, right? Yep. And so they felt comfortable. Hey, car dealership, I can't, you know, you really couldn't lose money with a car dealership
0: for the longest time. But now when you start selling electronic vehicles, oh, it's going to be a wildly different world. Change. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to change. And uh, I lived in the Detroit area for a number of years and was very, very, um, you know, I had my pulse on the industry. And, uh, you know, people would laugh at the idea of an electric car or yeah. an alternative fuel car. And here we are on the precipice of this new landscape of EVs and, and other things, and of course, uh, ride sharing. And uh, you know, I met a guy the other day who g- just got rid of his car altogether. He says, I can Uber everywhere. Yeah. This is a very wealthy guy. And he said, I don't wanna deal with it anymore. So you're yeah. right. And so somebody who owns a dealership today needs to be really thinking about what's coming down the road, pun intended, so they can make the right decisions yeah. for their, their business. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, where would this whole EV...
1: Marketplace has evolved so much more quickly than people thought it would. And that's another problem of being stuck in the status quo risk. You know, it was only, it was less than 10 years ago that I was started writing heavily about Tesla and saying that I thought Tesla would be a huge success. And at the time, there were writers at Forbes who were in the auto industry and there were some former executives that wrote for Forbes. And they all thought that I was just the dumbest human alive. They would just write their columns and say, you know, Adam Hartling's out there saying that Tesla's going to go take over the world or Tesla's going to make a big difference in the auto industry. And they said, I can't see it happening. I just can't see it happening. It won't It won't occur. You know, There's too many problems. There's too many technical problems. Batteries don't last long enough. There's not enough charging stations. They had a litany of excuses why the EVs weren't going to work. But now back to what we talked about last week, trends and using you know, starting to look at trends, you start say, well, where is the risk in the future? What is the risk? In the last two weeks, Jaguar came out and said that its entire fleet Everything they sell will be electronic, be EVs by 2025. You know, that's only four years. It's only three that's and a half 25. years away. Exactly. And then uh, Volvo came out and said they're going to be entirely EV by 2030. And uh, uh, Mary, uh, can't remember her last name, the woman who runs uh, GM, she's made a claim. I think she said 2035. She thought that GM would probably be all EV. Well, what you hear there's, you know, GM. Being typical GM, they're not going to be you know on the front edge of things, but but is what we should start to look at is say wait a minute, in a decade we went from it's a joke to be in the electric vehicle business to entire car companies saying we're going to make our entire fleet electric, and of course electric um, trucks are a big coming thing now. So what happens is the risk is you don't adjust. The risk is you don't prepare for that. Right. The risk is you go out and you buy a big gas-powered car today when, in fact, the value of that car is going to go way down. The last time I bought a new car was a 2008. And a nice big car with a nice big V8 engine in it. It's very comfortable to drive. But, you know, three or four years ago, I came to the realization that it would be foolish to buy another gas-powered car. And so I'm going to drive this car until it literally just drive it into the ground because by then, let's say five, six, seven years in the future, think of what the quality of the EVs will be. So this is where we need to take trends and put them into our decision making. You know, would it be risky for me to buy an EV today? Oh, no. Would it be risky to buy a traditional car? Probably.
0: Yeah. Because
1: the dealerships are going to go out of business. The mechanic shops are going to have trouble. They're going to struggle. All of the education is going to go towards EVs. The market for those gas powered cars is going to fall uh, and you know you're going to end up with a with something that you're going to have trouble getting value out of in the future in order to buy the next car that you want to buy so this is how we need to take trends and use those trends to help us really adjust our risk profile to think about what is the risk and where should i take the risk and what how much risk would it really be
0: I'm reminded of of of, uh wayne gretzky of course and his famous um i'll paraphrase it uh you know he's not a particularly uh, good skater i mean he's not the the best uh, individual and his dip, individual uh, hockey player and the different things he does, but he is the best at recognizing where the puck is going to be yeah. and sitting there. Right. And I think a lot of people get stuck in their current mindset of, okay, here's where I am today. The future is out there in the future and I'm not going to make any changes based on that. Where in fact, to be a really smart business person, you put yourself in that future state based on the understanding of trends You look backwards. And of course, you draw a line to uh, to change your business to where where things are going.
1: used to say in business that there was this life cycle of consumer adoption. There were the early adopters. Then there would be the mass market. And then there were the late adopters. That was the theory of how it worked. And the idea was don't be an early adopter because it's expensive to learn. Let somebody else go out there. Incur the cost of learning, come in with that mass market. And then the late adopters, they come in and uh, it's not not a market that's worthwhile. Just forget about them; It's not worth trying to chase them down. But again, that's now we're seeing it very differently. What we now know are the early adopters were the ones who were prepared for the pandemic. Right. They were they had already started doing work from home. They'd already adopted the technology like Zoom or Skype or another technology to work from home. They had uh, their their tablets, they had their mobile devices, they were setting up meetings asynchronously with people. You know, they were thinking about how they could use gig economy workers. That was already started. The pandemic hits, and these early adopters are the ones that are flourishing. They're the ones who were positioned, had a little information, and ready to make decisions. But here's another good example of that. The fastest growing market and electronic commerce today are people age 65 and older. Yeah, right. Now, that, that, here's a couple ways to look at it. One, they're late adopters, and so they're the, the part of the market that's, that has historically used electronic commerce the least. But what you start saying is, wait a minute, that's a focus in and of itself. Why wouldn't I wanna go out there and try to be the kind of company that helped those late adopters, You know, that get into the electronic commerce? So there's, it, it tells you there's a lot of opportunity, right? So what we're learning is being the early adopter and being, and then going after the late adopters are where some of the most money is, is there to be made. Yeah. And so it's the opposite of what we used to think. And we need to watch those trends to kind of figure out, well, okay, what's, what's going on? What's going to happen? Um, and then I, see most people, like I talk about a trend and they'll say, well, that's happening today. But I like to kind of back this stuff up and say, wait a minute, think about what you're seeing in the news. What is it telling you about what the future is going to be? So remember Disney, that's the classic one we've talked about for a long time. I didn't think that the new CEO of Disney really knew what he was doing. But I just saw again last week, they peaked with 360 retail stores back around 2010. Now they've announced they're going to close some more stores and they're going to be down to 250 by the end of this year. So what does that tell you? Traditional retail, walking in a store, is going away, <laughs> right? Going away. So you've got the data to help support the transition that says, I want to go over and I want to catch people online. I want to catch them at home. I want to catch them streaming. And again, we can look at Disney and they're setting records for the fastest um, uh, in terms of accumulating an audience for their, for their online streaming business, right? Disney+. Plus. They're the fastest growing one out there. So they've they've got they're getting out of a business that looked good and comfortable. And people would say, ah, oh, I like going to a Disney store. And they're getting using those resources to drive growth for streaming movies. And and because again, what are they telling you? We don't think people are going back to theaters the way they used to go to theaters in the past. Yeah. So if we look at it, it's just, like I said, it's being aware of what's going on. If you were standing on the edge of the Titanic, and you said, Wow, there's a big gash inside of the Ship, maybe I should get off, right? You were in a lot better shape than if you just smugly stood back and said, Ah, you know, I don't feel any need to do anything about this today. I don't want to take the risk of getting in that little lifeboat. Uh, Maybe I don't need to. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of those people with that attitude perished.
0: Yeah. What's crazy is uh, some of these uh, small, medium, uh, and even some large businesses have uh, the resources often to be able to really put in place a a real uh, pivot but they're the ones that are the most fearful. If you're a a one or two person shop, it's easy for you to make a new decision. You close up your existing business, you go in a direction. Uh, But if you're a a five, 10, $25 million company, for you to think you're gonna go in a different direction is oftentimes unfathomable. I mean, if you think about Sears, they had the opportunity back in 2000, right? To make a new, a, a really significant plunge In the e-commerce to the point where they could have been Amazon. All these malls with big Sears stores as anchor tenants could have rearranged and could be remote warehouses. I mean, they had that opportunity, but they missed it. But, uh, of course, Jeff Bezos made the decision, and he was smart about understanding where trends are going. And he made some really, really safe bets that at the time were deemed risky bets, right? And here we are. Uh, you know, Amazon is, is among the largest companies in the world and growing. Let me
1: give you another one. Uh, so we, we all are saying, OK, the pandemic's going to end. Oh, great. We can go out again and be in public. We'll all be vaccinated. Um, and so it kind of has this feeling, you know, of a little bit of back to the back to the old way of doing things. But last week, Microsoft announced the release of Mesh. And Mesh is this new platform, and what it does is it's all designed so that you can build applications in uh, artificial reality or virtual reality, right? So the idea here is you've got this platform that lets you tie into the mixed reality of Microsoft products and the whole lens that Microsoft has, so that you can actually take and try to view yourself in the 3D connection. Now, this is a new platform. It's coming from Microsoft, and I look at it and I'm thinking, like, wow, I mean, Virtual reality's been here for a while. You know, Facebook's got a product. They've had a Google's had a product. Remember the Google Glass that yes, used I to know. be, you know, and Google's had a product. Now we've got Microsoft they, with the HoloLens. They're talking about, well, it's really just glasses with a, you know, a screen on it. That's not so neat. But if I could set up a HoloLens where I could have this on, and then Manny, you could be working you know, on on something at your house and we could both be looking at it as if we were standing side by side and I could be giving you advice about, you know, I don't know how to fix a door or something. But at the same time, think about our meetings. You know, I keep saying people are not gonna go back to the office, work from home is here to stay. Mike, uh, Bill Gates said last week, a week ago that, he thought half the people would never go back. You go, wait a minute, half the people won't go back? How can this happen? Well, look at Mesh. Here's another something from the headlines and it should be telling you, look, that idea of pushing on that forefront, trying to figure out how people could work from home, trying to connect with people out in the world without bringing them into a central spot, letting them work asynchronously. Microsoft go saying they're going to lie, they're putting out a whole platform around that that ties into a bunch of components they have. So it's a, it should be a reinforcing mechanism to tell you this is not risky. Going down that road of work from home is not risky. You know, Helping your employees figure out how to do it is not risky. Um, you know, some people are sitting there saying, well, if I got an employee and they were working for me in California and now they went back to live with uh, you know, their family in, in uh, Arizona. Well, now I got this real big headache because what laws apply to that employee? You know, how do I, their unemployment insurance payments their health insurance, the taxes? And so Some people are saying, ah, yeah, we're not going to put up with that stuff. Well, the reality is, yes, you're going to put up with that stuff because you
0: still need the
1: people. Exactly. Now, what I do you know. have to do?
0: I invite uh, all of our listeners and viewers to uh, email Adam or I, we have a really cool list of about 60 trends that are uh, in existence in, you know, in the up and coming future that we're in now. We're kind of in a river, right? We talk about rivers all the time. So if you email Manny at sparkpartners.com or Adam at sparkpartners.com, we will get you a copy of this document. uh, That's really interesting to consider because again, We're in this river already for us to go and go upstream is going to take a tremendous amount of energy and it's going to end up uh, overtaking us eventually. Uh, I I mentioned to some of the other days, you know, sales is all about having something that really that somebody wants to buy. You can have every single salesperson in the world today trying to sell Betamax VHS tapes or or Betamax tapes. No one's going to buy it because nobody wants it. And so that's the dirty secret of sales is you have to have something that somebody wants to buy. Of course, that is, is aligned exactly with trends. So we can take this even on
1: like people when they're looking at their investment profile. Right now, there's a lot of hullabaloo saying that we've been in a growth uh, stock market for 14 years. Value stock's going to make a comeback. And that's just a bunch of hooey. I mean, the reality is you want to have you want to own have shares, ownership in companies that are growing their revenues. Why? So that they can have more cash, that so they could pay higher dividends at some point in the future. Growth is a good thing. Why would you suddenly want to go put money in an oil and gas company when we've reached peak oil? Right. We're never going to need as much oil in the future we had in the past. Why would you go down that road? You know, why would you? So when you listen to these somebody say, well, we've been in this growth for 14 years, it's time to pivot over to to um, value stocks. Just keep thinking to yourself, well, maybe 14 years is a trend. (laughs) Maybe 14 years showed us, you know, kind of what the future is going to be. I'm not saying that some of these stocks like Zoom and, and, and some of the fintech stocks, like PayPal and, and Foursquare, they might be a little ahead of themselves. You know, they might be overpriced. But at the same time, what's their value going to be in four years? With growth rates in the 20, 30, 40, 50 percent, yeah, you might over. You know, I'm not saying you should go buy them today. But if somebody did, would they? Would I say that's they're, they're highly risky? Say no. I mean, maybe the stocks will go down. But long term, that's the right place to be. You know, you want to be where the revenues are going to be. Personally, I do, you know, very few transactions. I buy stocks and then I just wait. I wait years, right? Because I want to buy stocks and things that are growing. Um, Amazon. Amazon is what, 40% of the e-commerce business. E-commerce has now gone from, in the last... 10 years, it's gone from like 2% of retail to 14% of retail, and it continues to grow. Yeah. So what's your risk of owning an Amazon, right? It's pretty low. It's pretty low. It's yeah. much lower than owning Walmart, which has got all those stores that's going to have to figure out how to get rid of. Now, we're just sitting here saying how you don't need stores. You don't need commercial real estate. You don't need all that. And Walmart's got probably more real estate holdings than anyone else in the country. So why would you want to be bought into that, Right. So take the long-term perspective in your in your stocks. Take the long-term perspective in your business decisions, and with your career, right? Think about where you want to be. You know, do you want, you want to be positioned in a in a job and in a company that's going to grow? because that's going to give you the opportunity down the road. If a company grows its revenues if it doubles its revenues in 7 years, look at all the new jobs it creates, all the new managers it needs, all the new VPs it needs. And you'd much rather be there than being a company growing at, you know, 2 or 3% a year, barely keeping up with inflation and never doing any hiring. You got to wait for somebody
0: to die to get a promotion. Yeah, the whole market landscape is is changing and it's always changing. And we talk about evolution going in one direction only. And uh, the sooner that these business owners and executives can understand that, um, the sooner they can make the decisions to to really ride the top of the wave and go further. Um, We talked about MBAs, uh, I don't know, two months ago. And of course, one of the things that Elon Musk said is that there are too many MBAs in this world. And MBAs, of course, are oftentimes taught all about mitigating risk and and having an an internally focused uh, modality of... uh, um, you know, lower your costs and improve your operational efficiency and focus on your core. And we, we of course, know that those things are not going to serve you in the, in the long run. And right. our course, Think Innovation, which is released now, is uh, teaches you how to do that exactly, how to align your business with emerging trends, how to do scenario planning in a way that will actually get you some real results and align your business to, to really where the market's going so that you'll be riding the top of the wave. And you'll be there, you know, first, second, third in your industry and not wait until everybody else is there already because by that time, it's too late.
1: Yep, yep. You know, there's a quick exercise I like to do with people sometimes where we compare headlines. And I'll say, in 10 years, which is the more likely headline? Gasoline-powered cars issue a huge comeback, remain 92% of the market. Or in 10 years, it would be gas-powered cars have almost been completely eliminated. We now have batteries that will last for six years. Typical uh, charge will carry you uh, 2,200 miles, and uh, the cost of operations have declined to near zero with the solar power movement. Which of those two headlines is much more likely, right? It's the second one, yeah, of course. So if that's where you think it is, then are you headed that way? Right? Are you thinking about that? So we can—that's an exercise you can do with your team. You can sit down and say, "Let's think up these headlines and let's figure out—you know—what would be the extremes. Put them down on paper and then say which is more likely. And the ones that are more likely, those are the headlines we want to make happen.
0: Agreed. Well, as always, Adam, it's a pleasure uh, having this time to be able to share some thoughts together, and uh, certainly uh, go to our website and uh, uh, look into being part of our community, Sparcom, where we uh, talk about uh, some deeper issues. Uh, And of course, our course, Think Innovation has been released. So with that, Adam, we will talk to you next week. Uh, Good luck with uh, the rest of your week. Thank you, Manny. Talk to you again. Cheers. Bye-bye.